Hey, welcome to another exciting podcast from Freedom House Church. My name is Troy Maxwell. I'm the senior pastor of our church. We are one church that meets in multiple locations, which means we have different communicators at all of our different locations. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from one of our teaching teams. I know that it will bless you. You will walk away changed. So enjoy this message. What is up, Freedom House? How y'all doing today? Good? Oh, come on. How y'all doing today? Oh, that's a little better. Awesome. Well, I am so excited to be with you at our central campus. For those of you I haven't had an opportunity to meet, my name is Diana Henderson, and my husband and I are the South End campus pastors here at Freedom House. As y'all know, we are one house with many rooms, right? So I'm representing the South End room today. Whoop, whoop. Awesome. Well, and we also have another one of our campuses with us today, our online campus. And we have several people, hundreds of people joining us online. Now, y'all have to bear with me because I'm not good at state abbreviations. So don't judge me, okay? We've got with us North Carolina, Georgia, New York, Virginia, South Carolina, California, Tennessee, Alabama, D.C. I think that's Washington, D.C., right? And Florida. Woohoo! People all across the nation up in the house today. Now, if you're also not familiar, at Freedom House, we have a teaching team, just like Pastor Troy was talking about in the video. And this is a group of communicators that rotate around our campuses to bring a live word of God every weekend. Isn't that pretty cool? You know, when our pastors asked, us to jo- asked me to join the teaching team three years ago, I'll be honest, I had a flat-out argument with God. I said, God, no. Like, this is not what I'm called to do. Like, I don't do the whole public speaking thing. Like, this is not my thing. And God said, read Ephesians, talk to Paul. Now, Paul, I love it, right? Because all these amazing people have gone before us. And Paul, in Ephesians 3, 8 says, I am less than the least of all of the Lord's people, but this grace was given to me to preach the boundless riches of Christ. And I said, all right. I guess if Paul can do it, I can do it. Now, speaking of people who have gone before us, I just wanted to take a moment and give some honor to our amazing senior pastors, Troy and Penny Maxwell. Aren't they great? You know, they share this platform with other people, and not many churches do that because they wanted to build the house of God, not on the personalities of pastors Troy and Penny, but on the personality of God himself. And so I just love that about them. All right, y'all ready to dive in today? Okay, well, we are in a series all summer called Crop Circles, and it's all about miracles, just like we heard in the video. Now... When I first saw that video, I'm one of those like curiosity killed the cat kind of people. So when I like hear something, I Google and I'm Googling, what is a crop circle? And so I learned something that I wanted to pass along to you. So crop circles are literally like a flattening of the crop in a field. And usually it's a cereal crop, like a wheat field, and it's man-made. Now, Crop circles, just like in the video, are kind of mysterious because in the early 80s, anybody around back then? Okay, all right, we got, we got some people that. In the early 80s, crop circles 
were suspected to be created by supernatural and in some cases extraterrestrial figures. Now, just like the mysteries of crop circles, so are the mysteries of God's miracles. And we're going to talk about that today. So I found this definition of a miracle I wanted to share with you. A miracle is an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs. Extraordinary event with divine intervention. Anybody want some of that? Like, I want that every day, all day. I don't know about y'all, but like I want the divine to show up for me every day. I think we can. You know, somebody said to me recently, miracles just don't happen anymore. And I was like, wait, what? They said, yeah. And I'm like, okay, if miracles don't happen today, that's like saying kids don't respect their parents anymore. Well, my argument is kids will respect their parents if we teach them and prepare them how to do so. Same thing goes for miracles. If we prepare for miracles, I believe that we will see them every day. Y'all with me? So we got to prepare for our miracles. And we're going to talk about that today, how to prepare for a miracle. And two things specifically, we're going to talk practically, but we're also going to go radical. Y'all okay with that? We're going to go radical today up in this house. Okay, so the first thing when you're preparing for your miracle is to circle don't spin. Circle, don't spin. Now you're probably like, what is she talking about? We're going to get there. The definition of circling, I'm going to do this carefully so I don't fall off the platform here. Circling is to move all the way around something, especially more than once. Now the def definition of spinning is a whirling or rapid turning motion. Now I'm in heels, so we're not going to go too fast. It's like our kids in the backyard when they're spinning around in circles and they fall down, they get up. What are they? They're dizzy. That's right. Or how about when you get your car stuck in the mud and your wheels are spinning? You know, in the South, they say, did you get your truck stuck? <laughs> All right, we got a couple of people up in here that are awake. You know, just for fun, I Googled curiosity killed the cat, right? And I said, okay, what sort of things spin? Well, two things came up in my research, fun facts that I thought I'd share with you. The first is that spinning icon on our smart devices. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Where it's searching for network activity and you're like, come on, I don't have time for this. Well, the second thing I found was a consumer report about a Roomba. You know those vacuums that move around your house and they're supposed to clean every inch on their own? Well, this consumer report was talking about a malfunctioning Roomba that was just spinning in one place. Like, I don't know about y'all, but that's like having my three-year-old clean the house. It's not very effective. Okay, so what's my point here? Circling is a strategy. Spinning is a response. Circling is a strategy. Spinning is a response. And based on what we just heard about spinning, I don't know that I want to spin when I'm preparing for my miracle. I want to be circling. Now, let's hear an example of this in the Bible. There was a man by the name of Joshua. This is the Old Testament. And Joshua was a mighty leader. He was the successor to Moses. Now, Joshua has, had just led the Israelites across the parted Jordan River, and they are entering into the promised land. The first thing that they have to do is fight a mighty battle of Jericho. So we're going to pick up in Joshua chapter 6, verse 2. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, 
I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram horns in front of the ark, and on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout, then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. All right, let's talk about what's happening here. God has just said to Joshua, you got to take down the city of Jericho. But Jericho was a fortified city. In fact, there was a wall surrounding Jericho that was 11 feet high. Imagine like two of me stacked up and 14 feet wide. Like that's like 14 of me. That's kind of being nice, right? Whatever. Okay. 14 feet wide. It also had a slope at the top of it. So this, let's say this is 90 degrees. The slope was about 35 degree angle and it went on for 35 feet. Like this is a massive wall. And in ancient warfare, there were typically two strategies that armies would use to try and penetrate cities like this. The first is they would surround the city and basically they would wait for the people inside to starve. The second strategy is they would try to weaken the wall by lighting it on fire or tunneling. Both of these strategies took weeks, maybe months. So you can imagine when Joshua hears from God and God's like, you're going to circle the city and blow some trumpets and then the walls are going to collapse. Like they're probably like, um, all right, cool. But I love the strategy from God because number one, it was a seemingly foolish plan. But you know, God's word talks about how he uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. So why did God call them to circle? Let's find out. This is uh, verse 15. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and they marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times, just like God said. Then the seventh time around, when the priest shouted the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that it is that's in it is to be devoted to the Lord. When we decide to circle, when we are obedient to what God is calling us to do, victory comes. Why did he call them to circle? Why did he ask them to do a seemingly foolish thing? He wanted to see their obedience in action. Now, another thing, you might be going like, oh, that's just happenstance that these massive walls came down. I mean, we got some skeptics, right? Well, seven in the Bible, not only on the seventh day did he tell them to march seven times, but the number seven in the Bible means perfection. So this was not happenstance. This was not a coincidence. This was God's perfect design. You know, I had the opportunity to lead my company in our largest business deal in history at one point. We had a whole team, and this thing went on for several months. Now, if you've been in sales or ever tried to sell something, you know that there are highs and there are lows to selling. And I happened to get a phone call from our stakeholder this day, and she says to me, Diana, I hate to break it to you, but our finance team is just challenging every aspect of this deal. 
I don't think we're going to have the money to make it happen. What did I do? I went to God in prayer. Now, you might be saying, oh, really? You brought a business deal to God? Yes, because God cares about our business too. It's not just our health or our relationships, but our livelihood. God cares about all of that. So I prayed, and the next day, I'm walking into work, and I hear the Lord whisper to me, Diana, circle your building in prayer. And I'm like, wait, what? You want me to pull a Joshua? God, like, come on now. I'm wearing high heels because I always do. And at this point, it was 28 degrees in Charlotte. Y'all know that that's like Arctic here, right? <laughs> it was cold. I'm trying to make it from my car into the building as fast as I can. And God's like, circle your building in prayer. Now, one more detail. There's like this mud hill on the back of our um, building, and it had been raining a lot. And then there's a concrete wall. So I'm like, God, what about that in my heels? And he goes, circle your building in prayer. So what did I do? I was obedient. And step by step, as I circled the building and prayed and declared and asked God to move like only he could, I made my way all the way around. Now, I'd like to say that when I made the complete circle, just like Joshua, the walls came tumbling down. Nope. Nothing. Nothing happened. I'm like, all right, God. Like, what's going on here? So I go into my building, and I go on about my day. That afternoon, I get a phone call from that same stakeholder, and she goes, Diana, I don't know what happened between yesterday and today, but our finance team approved every single dollar. The deal is moving forward. Come on, somebody. Yes, give God some honor for that. When we circle, when we're obedient to God's strategy, he shows up. So maybe you're saying, okay, what does that look like for me? Because God didn't tell me to circle my building in prayer. Well, what if? We were to circle our prayers physically. We've got prayer boxes out in the lobby. And if you're joining us on our online campus, you can do this too. Write in the comments what you're believing for. And we'll put it on these prayer boxes. And every week that you come back, draw a circle around that prayer. We're going to be praying with you. And what are we doing in this? We're saying, God, I trust you with my miracle that only you can do this. we got a circle our prayers. You know, as we prepare for a miracle, we've got our strategy, right? We're going to circle our prayers. Now let's talk about expectation. Anybody ever heard of the book, What to Expect When You're Expecting? Okay. Well, this book, if you're not familiar, is written with the intention for parents who are expecting their first child. And aren't parents in that season a little cray-cray? Yeah, they're crazy, right? They are interviewing people. They are researching. They're watching videos. They're trying to study all the sleep strategies. It is a crazy season of life. You know, when we were expecting our first child, I bought six different types of bottles. Like, what? I came home from the store, and my husband's like, babe, that's a little excessive. And I'm like, but what if he doesn't like this one? We got to make sure. It is a crazy season. But why is it crazy? Because you're expecting a baby. And a baby in itself is a miracle. What's the definition of expectation? A strong belief that something will happen. Imagine 
if we were to apply that crazy expectation to our miracles, if we were to have that crazy expectation that no matter what our bank account says, we know that God, the provider, is going to show up with the means to make it happen. Let's go back to Joshua. This is verse 20. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed, so everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. And the walls came tumbling down. Were y'all in high school choir? No, okay, maybe just me. Anyway, we sang that song all the time. Okay, so when I read Bible stories, I like to imagine that I'm there. So let's paint this picture. Joshua and the armies are standing looking at this fortified wall and they start shouting with an incredible expectation that God is gonna show up. Now God said to them that the walls were going to collapse, but he didn't say how. So you can imagine they're like, I don't know if they're gonna burst into flames or if they're gonna disappear or if a ramp is gonna appear and we're gonna climb up the ramp. But they were shouting with crazy expectation. We have any sports fans in here? Couple? All right. Well, my husband and I are big Virginia Tech Hokie fans. Woo woo. And um, the Hokies have this tradition for their football team that when the football team is entering onto the field before a big game, they play the song by Metallica, Enter Sandman. And the crowd goes, wild. In fact, one game, the sound registered on the Richter scale. Crazy expectation. Now, maybe you're saying, okay, I'm not a sports fan. And I'm not going to be shouting at my miracle because that's just not appropriate. But what if? What if we were to apply crazy expectation to our prayers? So we already know that we're going to be circling our prayers. So what if instead of asking or begging God... What if we shifted our focus after we asked? What if we declared and thanked and praised God for what we already expected him to be doing? You think we can do that? You think we can apply crazy expectation to our prayers? All right. So we know expectation is required for a miracle. Well, what happens when there's not that expectation? You know, Jesus talks about this in the Bible. He was explaining to his disciples at one point as they are in Nazareth. This is Mark chapter 6, verse 5. Then Jesus says to the disciples, A prophet is without honor only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own household. So he could not perform any miracles there except to lay hands on a few of the sick and heal them. He was amazed at their unbelief. Now, Jesus is in Nazareth, and that's where he was raised by Mary and Joseph. So the people there, you can imagine, are like, okay, this is adult Jesus, the son of God. Really? We saw you grow up. They lacked belief. Now, the scripture says he could not perform any miracles there. Not because he wouldn't, but because he couldn't. Not because he wouldn't but because he couldn't. Now, let me just clarify here. It's not because Jesus was incapable of doing the miraculous. It clearly says in the scripture too that he laid his hands on a few and healed them. But it says he was amazed at their unbelief. 
Now, y'all know that's not a good amazed, right? That's a bad amazed. He was amazed at their unbelief. Let me put it this way. Have you ever tried to let light wet firewood? That's a tongue twister. Have you ever tried to light wet firewood on fire? It's not going to light. It's not going to light. So their unbelief was like damp firewood when the Lord is trying to light it on fire with a miracle. So I've got a question for you. Are we wet firewood or are we expecting God to show up? Expectation certainly has its challenges, but what can we expect when we're expecting? Three things. The first thing is miracles can be a process. They're not always instantaneous. They don't always happen right then and there. There's an example of this in the Bible in John chapter 11, verse 1. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Wait, what? He stayed where he was for two days after hearing his BFF, like boy, man, what do y'all call it? Like guys, like my, my man, my bro, my bra, right? His, his bro was sick. I know y'all. And he stayed for two more days. Like if somebody called me and was like, Diana, your BFF is sick, I'd drop everything and I would be there. Why did he do this? Well, the scripture says it was for God's glory. Let's read on. Verse 11. After he said this, he went on to tell them, and he's now talking to his disciples. He's relaying the information to his disciples. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to go there and wake him up. Now, I love the response of the disciples. Complete blissful ignorance. You know why I love it? Because, like, that's me all the time. God will give me a word, and I'm like, really? Like, literally, God? And he's like, oh, no, no, no. Okay, hold on. The disciples say to him, Lord, if he sleeps... Maybe he will get better. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. They're not, he's not sleeping. He's dead. So then Jesus tells them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad he was not there. Or I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to them. So Jesus and the disciples start to make the trek from Jerusalem where they are to the city of Bethany where Lazarus is. Now, it takes them four days. It's a two-mile trek. Like, I'm not the most athletic, in-shape person, but I think I could probably do two miles in, in less than four days. Would you guys agree? So again, it's like, what is taking so long? Well, let's find out. As Jesus is approaching the home of Lazarus, his sister, Lazarus' sister Martha, comes out. This is verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even God now will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. 
And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replies. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. You see what's happening here? Jesus was taking his sweet time because he was setting the stage. Miracles are in motion and sometimes they take time. Maybe you're here and you're going, yeah, I've been believing for my miracle for several, for several years, but don't lose hope. Jesus is working your miracle out. I fully believe it. And in this case, he was setting the stage because he needed to make sure that the hearts were right to receive what he had coming. The second thing, when you're expecting, you can see dead things come to life. Dead things come to life. So Jesus and the disciples, they now get to Lazarus. And at this point, he's already been dead for four days. Four days. Bam. The stage is set. Nothing other than a mighty miracle could explain what's about to happen. Verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor. Like he's been in there four days. It's not going to smell good. And Jesus said, did I not tell you if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus walks out of the tomb. Jesus looks at him and says, take those grave clothes off. The process of this miracle had to happen the way it did. You know, Jesus very well could have healed Lazarus, but I think that Jesus knew that our rational, pragmatic brains would have gone, oh, Lazarus just took a nap and he felt better. Jesus is like, no, no, no. I'm going to wait till he dies. Then I'm going to raise him from the dead instead of heal him from the sick. So your miracle, the thing that you're waiting for, just imagine if God is like, just wait. I'm going to make it even better than what you can even fathom. Dead things come to life. The last thing, when we're expecting, we can expect to see super in our natural. You know, I have shared this story before. It's about my son. But when God showed up radically in our lives, we made a promise to him that we would never stop sharing this story, that we would never stop giving God the glory. A few years ago, I was coming back from a work trip and I was on pickup duty with our kids. Now I was running late. Anybody else ever run late before? Somebody's waiting on you, and when it's your kids, you're like, and this is a daycare, so like they've got rules. You've got to be there at a certain time, otherwise they start charging you by the minute. Not to mention like your kids are like, oh, mom's late again, you know, so I'm already feeling like a rock star. I show up in the parking lot, nobody's there, completely empty. I run into the daycare, and I go into my son's class. And he's standing at the wall, staring. 
Now, my son is one of the most gregarious, outgoing personalities that you've ever met. The kid does not sit still. So already I'm clued into something's not right. And if I could get some keys behind me, that'd be great. So I walk up to him and I, I touch his arm and it's burning hot to the touch. Mamas, we know what that means, right? My son had a fever. So I grab him, I grab my daughter, who's six months at the time, and I put them in the car, run out to the car. Not two seconds after I buckle him in his car seat, his eyes roll into the back of his head, and he starts to have a seizure. Now, if you've ever witnessed a seizure, it's pretty traumatic, especially in a three-year-old's body. I pull him out of his seat, I bring him down to the ground and he's laying on my lap. I pull out my phone and I start calling 911. Never had to do that before. And I'm waiting on the other end of the line for somebody to answer. You've seen the movies, right? You know, ma'am, this is 911. How can I assist you? That's not what I heard. I heard an automated voice message. So I'm like, okay, surely I've dialed the wrong number. Maybe I dialed 411 instead of 911. I dial again and again and again. And I keep getting the same message. I'm in an empty parking lot with a child who is seizuring. And I don't know what to do. I start screaming for help. Screaming a plea for help. And this car from nowhere pulls into the lot and this man gets out full head of salt and pepper hair and he's wearing a three-piece suit and he says ma'am how can I help you and I said my son is having a seizure my daughter's in the car my phone's not I can't get through to 911 can you hold him I'm gonna go try and run into the daycare and call from the landline so I run inside. Fortunately, the director was still there. We call from the landline. Same message. I'm going, what is going on here? So I'm like, I say to the director, come back out with me. You're medically trained. Like maybe you can do something. We go back out to Miles and he's still seizuring at this point. Now, for those of you who are medically trained, you know that seizures can be mild. But when they last for a long time, that's when you start to worry. And at this point, he's been seizuring for like three, close to three and a half minutes. And at this point, I've exhausted all of my natural resources. I laid my hands on my son and I cried out to my father. Lord, save my son, save my son. At that point, we heard the sirens in the background. Help was on the way. The fire department gets there first. Then the ambulance gets there. And by this point, like passerbys have come. There's a whole crowd around him. And the man in the three-piece suit looks at me and says, Ma'am, you look like you're in good hands now. I'm going to go. And I'm like, okay, and I'll find him later. We get oxygen on miles. They get him into the ambulance. They get him to the hospital. Turns out he had a bad virus. And his fever spiked, which caused a febrile seizure, but he was okay. The next day, I was on my face. That's my little guy. He's now eight. At this time, he was three. And I'm thanking God. 
I'm thinking like the, the um, fire department, the ambulance squad, like writing letters. I'm baking cookies and I don't bake. So like, you know, like I was really <laughs> thankful for all that these people had done. And then it hits me, the man in the three-piece suit, I've got to find him. So I go to the director and I'm like, okay, I'm trying to find the man in the three-piece suit, you know, and she's like, you mean the bald guy that had on the gym shorts that flagged down the emergency responders? And I'm like, no, 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 no. This guy clearly had a full head of salt and pepper hair. He was wearing a three-piece suit. And she's like, where was he? I'm like, when, when I brought you from inside out to Miles, he was holding Miles. And she said, Diana, Miles was laying on the ground. Let me just tell you, when you are believing and preparing for a miracle, God Almighty himself will send the super into your natural to bring about a miracle. Will you guys stand to your feet? You know, we've talked about preparing for a miracle, having a strategy, having great expectation for God to move. And I know that we all have miracles in here today. And if you guys would just close your eyes and bow your heads. Before we can even expect God to move in our miracle, I want to give some people in here an opportunity to accept Jesus as their Savior. When you follow Jesus, when you prepare for your miracle, mighty things happen. Maybe you're in here today and you haven't yet accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if that's you, I'm not going to do anything to embarrass you. I just want you to do something bold right where you are so I can pray for you. Will you lift your hands when I count to, to three? If that's you, one, two, three. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. You can put your hands down. Maybe you're in here and you're saying, you know, I accepted Jesus a long time, but man, I feel like my firewood's a little wet. And I'm not expecting God to move in the way that I know that he's capable of moving. And if that's you, I just want to give you an opportunity to say, God, I am back at it. If that's you today, will you just lift your hand so I can pray you, pray for you? Thank you. I see your hands. I see your hands. Yes, hands up all over the room. Thank you, Jesus. You can put your hands down. Now, church, we're just going to pray a prayer all together to just signify to God we see you and we thank you. Just repeat after me. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the God of the miraculous. And we believe that miracles are for today. Today, I ask you, Jesus, into my heart. I ask you to, to stand there at the head of my life. And today, I will follow you all the days of my life. Amen.